Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you. Just as the Father has sent me, so I am also sending you. Amen. My dear Christian friends, Paul has just finished his third missionary tour. It is a four-year tour of Asia Minor and Greece, and he has stopped in Jerusalem. But the Jewish religious leaders so vehemently opposed Paul's message of the crucified and risen Christ that they stir up a mob that almost tears Paul apart. The Roman soldiers have to gather together around Saul to protect him from the mob. The Roman commander arrests Paul for his own safety so that he can later be put on trial. And when he's thinking about moving him to the trial, he learns of an assassination attempt on Paul's life from the Jews. So under cover of darkness, he gets together 270 Roman soldiers to surround Paul to take him from Jerusalem to the seaport city of Caesarea. There he meets with Governor Felix. Felix could not decide what to do with Paul. And he's also upset that Paul doesn't offer him a bribe. So he leaves Paul in prison for two years. For two years as a favor to the Jews. Until, Fe- until Felix is called to Rome on charges of being a corrupt governor. And then Rome places Festus as the new Roman governor over the province of Judea. Three days after arriving in Jerusalem from Caesarea, the Jewish religious leaders meet with Festus and they bring charges against Paul. They ask Festus to move Paul from Caesarea to Jerusalem so that he can be put on trial for these charges. Festus doesn't know it, but the religious leaders have created another assassination attempt for for Paul. Festus went back to Caesarea and he talks to Paul and he asks if he's willing to have this trial in Jerusalem. But Paul resisted the governor and he appeals to a higher governing body and he says, I appeal to Caesar. Festus didn't know what to do. So after conferring with his legal counsel, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa appears in Caesarea so that he can pay his respects to the new Roman governor. Agrippa is the son of Herod Agrippa I, the one who put James to death. He is the great nephew of Herod Antipas, the one who beheaded John the Baptizer. And he is the great grandson of the Bethlehem baby killer, Herod the Great. That's quite a family tree. Although Agrippa does not rule Judea, he does have control over the temple. And who is the high priest that year? His title of king is under the authority of the Roman government. But he is able to understand the Jewish way of thinking so that he can explain that to a Gentile like Governor Festus. Festus is at a loss of how to investigate Paul's case. According to Roman law, Paul is innocent of all of these charges. But as the new governor, Festus also wants to give favoritism to the Jews that he is supposed to be governing. 
This is a religious matter, and the Romans don't care anything about religious matter. What matters to them is that there is peace. Festus hopes that Herod can help him determine what specific charges he can bring against Paul when he sends him to Caesar. The next day, Paul is standing before King Agrippa and Governor Festus and the other dignitaries. This is not a trial. No witnesses or accusers are called. There is no verdict at the end. Paul does not have to be there because King Agrippa has no jurisdiction over him. But he wants to be there because he wants to speak. Not only to testify to his innocence, but most of all to testify to Christ's gospel. And as he had before the Sanhedrin, and as he did before Governor Felix, so he does the same thing before Festus and Agrippa, these new authorities. He begins by talking about the resurrection. The Sanhedrin claimed that Paul was wrong in talking about Jesus' resurrection. And yet Paul says that the history of the Jewish people is all invested in the hope of the resurrection of the dead by their Lord. And then in his story, he recounts his conversion on the road to Damascus to, as he sees the vision of the risen Christ. This risen Christ that calls him from being a persecutor to a proclaimer. In his testimony before these authorities, Paul stresses that the Christian gospel is not a departure from the true ancient faith given throughout the Old Testament. It is a continuation and a fulfillment of everything from Moses to Malachi. He says, I am saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would happen. Paul then forcefully proclaims that these wonderful promises were fulfilled in the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. He makes the point that Jesus Christ is the light of salvation that shines light into the darkness of those who are trapped by Satan's power. He makes the point that Jesus is the first of those who are going to rise from the dead, and then the rest of those who believe in Christ will rise from the dead also. Upon hearing this, Festus calls Paul insane. Paul, you're out of your mind. Paul replies, I am not insane, most excellent Festus, but I am clearly speaking words that are true and sensible. And then he challenges King Agrippa. Certainly the king to whom I am freely speaking knows about these things. Indeed, I cannot believe that any of these things has escaped his notice because this has not been done in a corner King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Agrippa doesn't know what to say. If he says he believes in what the prophets say, then he has to believe in the resurrection. If he says he doesn't believe in the prophets, then what right does he have to be called the king of the Jews? So Agrippa says, in such a short time, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian? Paul's answer is perfect. 
I pray, God, that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but also those who are listening to me today would become what I am, except for these chains. Paul's prayer is that no matter if the Holy Spirit takes a short time or a long time, that everyone who is gathered together to hear him will be converted and become like he is, except the whole being in prison thing. He wants them to become the forgiven sinners and redeemed saints of God. Paul boldly preaches a message before these authorities, a message of law and gospel, of repentance and faith. He proclaims Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. Paul's defense of his ministry is simply to share the gospel. Jesus once said about his disciples of all ages, warning them, be on guard against people. They will hand you over to councils and they will whip you in their synagogues. You will be brought into the presence of governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But Jesus also promised, whenever they hand you over, do not be worried about how you will respond or what you will say because what you say will be given to you in that hour. In fact, you will not be the one speaking, but the spirit of your father will be speaking through you. This happened to Paul and fellow saints of God. We are living in a climate and a culture where it is becoming increasingly likely that this will happen to you. That you will be called to give your testimony that can become a dangerous testimony before the authorities. And these authorities may be the government, your university, your employer, or just in public. Some examples. For resisting totalitarian edicts, Pastor uh, Coates of Grace Life Church in Alberta, Canada was arrested, tried in secret, and then kept in prison for a month. Now that he's recently been released, the authorities have erected chain fences around the church property so that Pastor Coates and his parishioners cannot go to church there. A federal court recently ruled that Wayne State University discriminated against a Christian organization on their campus called Intravarsity Christian Fellowship. They discriminated against this Christian group because the group was pulled of all of their benefits of being on the campus. And they were charged with discrimination because the the group had the audacity to say that only Christians can be leaders of their Christian organization. You may have found this to be true in your workplace, that more and more workplaces are requiring their employees to go through critical race theory training or be fired. And you may have heard of stories of parental rights being removed from parents because they refuse to endorse their children receiving reassignment surgery and hormone treatments for gender dysphoria. So what do you do? When you face pressure from authorities, what will you do? Your natural reaction is going to be to shrink from your Christian responsibility to backpedal, st stutter, 
and stammer and apologize, to go along with the culture, to keep your mouth shut, to just cower in the corner and tolerate everything that's going on around you. But Jesus does not tell us to tolerate and accept the the actions of the devil and his minions. He says that you are to storm the gates of hell, that you are to go on the offensive, that you know full well that what can happen when you do this, that your testimony can very quickly become a dangerous testimony, that we can have our businesses boycotted, we can have our social media canceled, you can be arrested and put on trial, expelled from college, fired from the workplace, even be put to death. And yet, God calls for us to be bold witnesses before these authorities. And Jesus gives us the confidence that when we're standing before these authorities and we don't know what to say, that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit will give us the right words to say. That you will give your testimony before the authorities. Whether those authorities are the government, college professors, your employers, or someone else. Be respectful. Speak clearly, confidently, and with conviction. Call those in your audience to repentance. Understanding that they are not persecuting you. But they are persecuting the one who sent you. Proclaim your Savior's crucifixion. Witness to Christ's resurrection. Shine the light of Christ into their sin-darkened world. Pray for their conversion by the Holy Spirit. This is your opportunity. As C.S. Lewis once said, in such a fearful world, we need a fearless church. Tell them about a God who loved them so much that he was willing to enter this world of sin and death in order to be betrayed, rejected, persecuted, and crucified by those he came to save. He was not afraid to speak the truth before the religious and governing authorities. And he was put to death for speaking that truth. But God's love could not and did not stay dead. Jesus rose from the grave. And like Paul told Agrippa, this did not happen in a corner. This was testified throughout the inerrant and inspired scriptures. Jesus was a historical person who was brutally and factually crucified. And numerous witnesses testified to the fact that they saw the risen Christ walking around alive after his third day resurrection. This is the Christ for whom the apostles put their lives on the line. This is the Christ for whom the early Christians were willing to be persecuted and even be put to death by Saul of Tarsus. This is the Christ for whom Paul was in chains. And this is the Christ for whom you are willing to be canceled, arrested, boycotted, imprisoned, put on trial, and even martyred. All because you know who he is. You know that Jesus is the crucified and resurrected Savior. He is the light of the world that shines into this world's darkness. 
You are willing to carry your cross in Christ's name because you know that he carried his, your, his cross for you, taking your sins upon himself. You are willing to die so that you might live with him forever. He gained you heaven. So you are willing to give up everything on this earth. Fellow saints, never be ashamed to preach this message that you are called to share. Provide your story. Preach repentance. Proclaim Christ's crucifixion. Pronounce Christ's resurrection. You have no power to persuade people. But there is a persuasive message that you have to share. And then always pray that those who are hearing your message will be converted so that they will be like you. As you give this message clearly, confidently, and with conviction, the Holy Spirit will give you the right words to say as you give your dangerous testimony before the authorities. Amen.